Hey there, my name is Dan. My name is Joshua, and, and we, we are, are the, the Unauthorized, Unauthorized Critics, Critics Circle. Circle. Now, Joshua, tell the listener what we do here at the UCC. With pleasure. Here at the UCC, we review theater with the normal bitcheries and qualms by watching the video recordings from of questionable origins of various productions. This week, we are talking about The Life, specifically the Broadway production's performance from April 24th, 1997. Now I'm going to look this shit up on YouTube. There are a few clips available from this on YouTube if you don't already have the vid. There are varying degrees of quality, but honestly... If you have a gist of what this show is, which means if you uh, didn't happen to see it in New York in 2022, then you will be... Or originally the actual production. This is the original production. You said 2022. Yeah. The original production was not in 2022. No, I'm saying if if you have a sense of what the show is, which means if you didn't see it in 2022. Oh, oh! We mentioned this because while we talk about the show themselves, we also review the specific performances that we've seen. The internet is your friend, darling. So, although they closed down the Craigslist personal ads, and that has really been hazardous to people working in the life, like in real life, the life. So, without further ado, the curtain is now rising. You know, Joshy, I remain fresh as a daisy, but you are too old for the oldest profession. I'm younger than you. Please enjoy our discussion of the Broadway production of The Life. When you're a hustler, there is one thing you should know. Holy shit. You gotta hustle every day. No way. When you're a hustler, there's no time to take it slow. probably doesn't know it's out of print now but back in 1995 they did a studio cast album of the life that had liza singing three different songs jennifer holiday sings one of the songs george burns shows up on it wow what yes yes because it's george burns because it's cy coleman and everyone knows cy coleman and everyone likes cy coleman so was george burns singing the hooker's ball song no 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 no. that's like the one song that i can go like oh yeah it makes sense he was doing i I think he did easy money easy money (laughs) what yeah 
Holy shit. It's uh, Lou Rawls, Jennifer Holliday, Liza Minnelli, Billy Preston, Jack Jones, <laughs> Leslie Gore sings My Body, Joe Williams, <laughs> George Burns, and Bobby Short. Christ. It's out of print now. Scourge. Scourge. I want it right now. Is it on vinyl? I want to get it on vinyl. 95? No, they weren't making vinyls anymore. Fuck. And you That's don't. Incredible. You also don't know this story. So the life went to the Tony Awards and Titanic won that year. They won mm-hmm. Best Featured Actress, Best Featured Actor. And th- those were the only awards they won. And they were trying to figure out how to get the press back to the show and get some press for the show, sell some tickets. So what do they do? They call up Liza Minnelli. So the first performance (sighs) after the Tony Awards, they go, they do the entire performance, they bow, and then they say, we have a, Psych Holman comes out and says, we have a special treat for you. And out of the audience, out of nowhere, they pull Liza Minnelli up from the audience by her arms onto the stage, and she sings Use What You Got with Sam Harris as a duet with Psych Holman playing the piano in the background. And after that i just looked it up and found the video mm -hmm. and after that she sang you made me love you which was her mother's song which she had never sung before because she knew that would get press so she really she really helped out the life and i believe there were actually talks of her replacing sam harris in the show to keep it running to replace sam harris yes wow Uh uh-huh that's but Liza, yeah, Liza used to hang up backstage at the Life because she was friends with Sam Harris and she did the concept album and she liked Cy Coleman. So she'd just show up and she'd hang out in the dressing room, in, in the chorus girl's dressing room, randomly. To be in a room with Liza Minnelli and Lilius White. Holy. <laughs> just love this Yeesh. show. Oh, <laughs> Wow. Let's bring her up on stage, folks. Drag her by the arms. It's Liza. Liza's here. I remember when I was a hoofer. <laughs> you said that very good. Well, Daniel. Yeah? We are talking about Cy Coleman's The Life today. It wasn't just Cy Coleman. List the other writers. The Life was created by Cy Coleman, Ira Gassman, and David Newman. What'd you know about the life? what did I know about the life? I knew that it was basically Lilius White's defining, like, step in musical theater. Like, the thing that made Lilius White, Lilius White kind of. Aside, of course, from Don't Rain On My Parade and Dreamgirls. Okay. I mean... Um, there were a lot of things that made her her rather than just one heavily publicized concert song of Don't Rain in My Parade. That's like one of the most iconic performances of that song ever. Yes, but that was after she was made, baby. There's a lot yeah, more. Yeah, I know, work but that went but like before that. Like if this was like if this was the thing that brought Lilius White out, Dream Girls and Don't Rain on My Parade were the things that made Lilius White Lilius fucking white. Lilius White did Dreamgirls before the life. 
Well, yeah. You don't know your history. Tour. You do no, not... she was on the national tour in the 80s. She was in L.A. And that tour came into Broadway and was the first Broadway revival of Dreamgirls. Was Lilius playing it on Broadway in that revival? Yes. That I didn't know. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, she did the 2004 Actors Fund concert. which That is was like... the 2001 Actors Fund concert. It was so days... Was 2004? It was days after 9-11. Oh. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I guess that'll help you remember. I just generally knew that it was a musical from the 90s about sex workers. And when I saw, like, a 10-second clip of a performance, I was like, ooh, this looks edgy. Mm-hmm. Then... Yeah, heard the about it for any sort other. Of came back into the public consciousness. Mm, why? In 2022. And I sort of caught wind of it again from there and seeing the uh, beloved, lovely press from that reinterpretation. Mm. Now, Daniel. Yeah. What is it that you happen to know about the life? So I had listened to the cast album. I liked the cast album. It wasn't something. I think I had only listened to it like once. And I liked it. And I um, went and saw something that was called The Life at Encores. He was there. Yeah. Ground fucking zero. Ground fucking less than zero. Now, Dan. (sighs) You've seen Billy Porter's The Life live. And and I have to say I hadn't seen the bootleg, so it was my first like. So this was your introduction to the life. Full exposure to the life. Full exposure, indeed. What do you say? Do you want to talk about it? I think now? it will constantly come up. Um, mm. I'll start with this. I'll start, uh, with, I'll I'll start just... with what was great. Lettucey was absolutely fantastic. A perfect leading lady for a musical. That's great. I'm very happy to hear that. Okay. Yeah. Um. Cool. Anything else? Positive? Entertain me, sure. I'm thinking. Yeah, I can tell. I'm giving you your space. Did I mention Lettucey? Uh, yeah, just a bit ago. Okay, okay, yeah. Lettucey was fantastic. Cool. Uh-huh. Anything else? They took donations for Broadway Cares Equity Fights AIDS. That's right, good. okay. That's so a worthwhile let's carry organization. On. <laughs> I put money in so, the basket, the red bucket. That's good. Good, mm-hmm. good Samaritan. Um, yeah. Here's what I'll ask, then... What would you say was the effect had on you in regards to the life by watching that presentation? What do you mean, the effect? You you watched an adaptation of the life and then watched the life. Mm-hmm. And so I'm kind of curious, having gone into the life like as its own show, what was the effect that the that you found the adaptation having on you as you watched the original? This was this was your choice. And you said, y- you know what? I do want to watch The Life. And I was, like, traumatized. And... You're, you've been, like, insisting upon trauma mm-hmm. for, like, a long amount of time. 
because it just and I have to like outright declare it right now because I think it's gonna come up because you did text me traumatized T R A O M A. It's because and when it's starting to go into the spelling, that's something to take an eye on. It's because it's in the episode I just edited. <laughs> that was the first time I used it. <laughs> <laughs> gonna be honest on that one. <laughs> yeah, fair. Watching it, I was like, okay, well, that's always been bad. That's better here. Oh, look, human beings do have some modicum of joy, even on all walks of life. And no, it doesn't necessarily make them happy-go-lucky and make them happy, but oh, you can actually laugh at some of this. The entire thing isn't this unrelenting, depressing referendum on social issues. That's shocking. (laughs) A good inaugural statement about what you made of the uh, adaptation, I think. I texted you at intermission, and I said I've only walked out of one show in my life, and had they not moved the oldest profession to be the 11 o'clock number, I would have walked out of the life at intermission. It was actually, the Encore's production was actually that bad. You know, oldest profession, 11 o'clock number. I wouldn't say the the notion would jump at me from having seen the life. I think they knew they had to move it to the second act, otherwise they were going to have more people walking out at intermission. (laughs) But we'll get to all this later. Oh, they move songs around where they didn't make sense. It's... We'll get to all this later. For now... We'll get to this. I think... I I realized watching the bootleg, everything that I was seeing, I was relating back to Encores. And whether Encores was good or not, it was not. Um, (laughs) It had so thoroughly um, enveloped... Welcomed or unwelcomed. It had so thoroughly... Permeated. Permeated my brain that... um, I I was able to see what the original was, but every moment was also, okay, this is what they did at Encores. Okay, why did they change this? Why did they not change this? There was a lot of going back and forth between the two productions. Had such a stranglehold on you. Stranglehold. There we go. That is a perfect phrase. Thank you. I'm great with words. Uh, I I do have to say, I was being facetious earlier. Lettuce was fantastic. Um... The cast was out to fucking see. Uh, they uh, they were out to see, but they were all great. They were great. There was no agreed upon playing style. It was under rehearsed. It was kind of, you're going to sink or swim on your own individually. And I mean, we'll get into it later. It didn't seem like they had much of a director working with them. And you saw the result of a director really not working on this show. But the cast was good. Cool. It's 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 no surprise that one of the big reasons that the life is being talked about right now is because of just the incredible notoriety that this musical garnered at Encores with its I'll be generous and say shifting mandates in terms of their artistic goals. No one knows what Encores is anymore. And they really should rename it. Encores is dead. 
And so naturally, that's a big reason we are bringing it up at this moment. We are, of course, going to talk about The Life as a show and about the recording, which we all watched together. Uh, not recording, performance. The performance that we all attended together on April 24th, 1997, which we were all in the theater for because we were all around for that. That being said, the Encore's production is probably going to rear its head as we lightly touch upon sort of that little blip in history this year and what to do about it. So without further ado, Dan, my question for you is, Mm -hmm. how'd you like the life? Watching the bootleg? Yes. (laughs) Watching the bootleg, I saw a flawed show that was very enjoyable. What did you think? I saw... An awesome show. Not a bad show. Not a good show. But a fucking awesome show. Explain. Explain. Dan, straight up, on the chest, The Life is one of the more enjoyable theater experiences I've had on this podcast. Really? Yeah, absolutely. This is shocking. There was really, I would say, 90 to 95% of this show, I was either thoroughly impressed or entertained with okay the material is not in and of itself strong material but what works here is cy coleman is this ensemble is this production is this audience is this story in this time, as in the night, as in ninety-seven? Mm-hmm. All of these result in just something that's so fucking exciting and so funny and so well performed and so intriguing, and something where whatever one could say about the show, I'd be hard pressed to find someone who could actually sit through this show and say it wasn't enjoyable. Like, like, I think a safe statement to say is that this is one of the most thoroughly, well, this production, I should say. This production of this show. The actual show unrewritten in this production. Yes. The life in its pure, true iteration. I'd be hard-pressed to find someone who could sit through this show and say they did not find the show enjoyable. I think it's sincerely one of the most enjoyable shows uh, we've covered, at least as of recent. Um, shows have been more impressive. Shows have been more clever. Shows have been more... Well-written. Uh, well, for sure. Mo- I, 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 quite a few shows have been more well-written. But the writing does not stick out like a sore thumb for a lot of the show. For a lot of the show, the writing... I'll say, like, of... of words the writing of words as in the book and the lyrics are almost like muffled by the quality of this score and the quality of the presentation Mm. do you uh have anything to expand upon your take a flawed show that you enjoyed why it's flawed is getting into the technical elements um why it's enjoyable 
and why encores was not really getting to why encores was not why this was enjoyable is the variety present in the music and the way these care the myriad of ways the characters manage to present themselves musically it really <laughs> You kind of said it. The book takes a back seat, and that's why it's flawed. The book really does take a back seat. The lyrics, some of them are great, but they're mostly fine. They also kind of take a back seat, and you're watching a very jazzy, um, belty operetta. Yeah. Oh, sure. Oh, absolutely. Which, it's odd, this was against Titanic, and I fully said, Titanic is like a symphony. Yes, you did. It's not even an operetta, I think it's fully a symphony. <laughs> so this was not, this was not a good year for books. <laughs> I would say maybe, and this is verging on technical, but I would say, the, the life offers i guess less of a book and more of a plot you know the the book is not the book basically serves to tell the plot it doesn't do so in like an excellent way but what it what is interesting about the life story is just that the story you know it, that makes sense. Even the plot, though, I saw someone, they were talking about, they didn't go to Encores, but they said what they remembered of the original production was basically, Sonia tells Queenie, don't trust your boyfriend. Queenie, I trust him. Boyfriend robs her. Sonia, don't trust my pimp. I trust him. Pimp beats her up. Sonia, don't tell my pimp's favorite hustler that you're leaving town. Queenie, I already told him we're friends. Hustler tells the pimp and pimp beats her up. Sonia, I guess I have to save you and put you on a bus so this show can end. <laughs> Not inaccurate. <laughs> it's, it's humorous, but also, I don't know, that Queen has a strong defining character trait. Which is... Which is that she, her heart's too big, essentially. Okay. Okay. Uh, let's get into the book. Let's get into the book, because the thing that I still had an issue with here. What does Queen want? Hmm. I mean. Exactly, uh, and there's your problem. Like, uh, this uh, is why it's a flawed <laughs> show. A, I want to say... A good life for her and her man. But then she leaves him and he's not a part of that life at the end of this show and yet he's still tagging along. She wants to get out, but he spent the money and she had been saving that money up for a year and she's going to magically get the money back in a couple of days and get out of town. Like, the biggest issue the life has... I do not think it is something like Rags, where we talked about they went back and they revised Rags to give one character... They tried to make Rebecca 
the person that moves the plot and I said that's not your show you're doing a whole panoply of the immigrants in America the life you really need to root for these people and you need to root for someone specifically I think Queen is by nature of what the score is and by nature of how much she sings she's very clearly the lead I don't think anyone's yes. going to she is clearly and incontrovertibly the lead and there are other characters but the other characters really only exist as they come into her life we don't stop for rags we stop for the oldest profession right. but it's it's not the title song of the show you know uh yeah absolutely i think what you're getting at is um the life is an ensemble show and of course you want to care for this ensemble the same way you care for like the ensemble of titanic or the way you care about the ensemble of rags uh you're seeing all these different characters these different facets these different dynamics but i can agree that what the life needs is a strong tethering to a central perspective i don't know what Queen wants it seems to change every scene and with every action she takes mm -hmm. she wants to get out of I the life you. why is she going to the hookers ball and why is she hooking up with not hooking up but why is she showing oh i'm with memphis now well at the beginning of the act you said you wanted to get out and he stole your money now you have to stay in prostitution but if you have to get out you have to know that memphis isn't going to help you get out I, I don't get what the ultimate goal is and i don't know that she the character knows what the ultimate goal is and i yeah. don't think there's enough of a framework to say she's stuck in the system i had a production that very loudly screamed at me she's stuck in the system and it still didn't work yeah you know what you, you phrasing it like that makes a world of sense it it, it it suffers in that regard for just sort of being a little aimless with that central storyline. Mm -hmm. And I would say, personally, stu I, I regularly found, whenever we did revisit the whole ensemble, for the most part, I found those sequences mostly, like, entirely effective. Yeah. When we're actually sitting with... When we're, when we're sitting with the whole block of gals and we're seeing all of their camaraderie and we're seeing how they're getting through it together, we're seeing the actual, like, you know, word on the street. Mm -hmm. We, of course, need a plot to, to come back to and we need a character to mark our journey throughout the show. But whenever we get, I guess, I don't know, I guess maybe I'll call them a chorus, it, it, it always works at, like, showing us what this community looks like what is the word of the people where do we all stand with this mm -hmm. what is the what is the life like uh-huh that was all what i found always effective for me and i think that might actually be something that's like alleviating the flaw of the weaker part of the book well i think this was something that i assumed had to be on course and it turned out to not completely be encores. The show starts with a monologue. And I don't mind shows starting with a monologue. 
not saying you can't do it, but the monologue is, here's this character, here's how she ends up. Here's this character, here's how she ends up. Here's this character, here's what happens to her. I forgot about that. And you sit there and you're going, holy shit, I have no reason to watch the show now. Because, because then the show outright says, what happens to these four characters? Well, that's what you came to see the show for. Well. And so, therefore, if you're going to do that, but, you need to really... But it, what what it was at Encores, they still had that monologue of... The big thing at Encores, the character of JoJo is split up into old JoJo and young JoJo. And old JoJo also uh. plays the bartender but isn't, like, oh. actually the bartender, and what he's there is really to narrate the show. And that is something the show 100... That's another flaw. It starts off with a narrator and then just abandons him after the first scene. He doesn't really come in again. So he doesn't actually do anything with the framing narrative they try to establish. Yeah. He sings a couple of songs that reset the scene, but he doesn't actually talk to you. And so then why is the show starting with a monologue? Um, and Billy Porter realized this was a flaw, and his answer was to add a bunch of monologues throughout the show. And even with, here's what's going to, you'll have to watch for what happens to these four characters. And then you'd sit there and, you know, an hour goes by, it was three hours long. An hour goes by and old Jojo comes on stage and what is going to happen in this scene? If I knew it would have cost a man his life, I would have never done it. Great, now I know the other guy in the scene's gonna get killed. Oi. There were several. I wish I never did this. If I did this, uh, I should have never done this. This is what's gonna happen. It, it killed any kind of dramatic tension at every turn. And I think that opening monologue really does the same thing here, but you're able to forget about it because they do abandon that and enough comes afterwards. I think rather than adding narration, cut the opening monologue. <laughs> cut the opening monologue, have a couple lines if you need them that just pass throughout the entire chorus and beef up the whole ensemble nature of the show yeah it's it, it, it is weird to start it, it's weird to start any show off by going hey here's what's going to happen mm-hmm. in this show good now i don't need to watch it, it that's the only <laughs> yeah. that's the only reaction you can possibly have it's like watching a fucking movie trailer that summarizes the entire thing well and i guess Attend the tale of Sweeney Todd. He served a dark and avenged of God. He shaved the faces of gentlemen who never thereafter were heard of again. Yeah, but it doesn't tell you. It doesn't tell you plot. Who he wise. killed. It doesn't yeah. tell you. Yeah, it gives you the theme, and that's what this monologue. Like that monologue can still preserve that. It can still let you know this is the theme of mm-hmm. what's going to happen. You're about. If it were gonna say you're about to see danger, you're about to see death. Even if you start off saying something like. A lot of the girls you see on the stage died very die for whatever, like you know, without going. This person died here, boom. This person died here, boom. This person died here, boom. If you start off with something that if you, that has an emphasis on setting the tone, mm-hmm. rather than just like divulging information, right? Well, that's and what that's what that monologue should solely serve. So, 
What impressed me watching this as opposed to Encores is that it does the thing that Cabaret does. It starts out, it's a party, everyone's having fun, and slowly the air deflates from the balloon. And it oh, keeps yeah. deflating, and it keeps deflating, and it turns into desperation. Encores started with desperation, and so you had nowhere to go. Yeah, for for a reinvention of the show that tries to frame it as like a lot more sympathetic towards sex workers in a sex-positive light, makes it sound like... A lot less of that than I got from this production. It was a lot less of that because they turned the hooker's ball into Memphis hosts the hooker's ball. It's Memphis's hooker's ball. And yeah. it's something that he does to assert that he's the best person in the city. The hooker's ball was a real thing. It was run by Coyote. Coyote was an mm-hmm. organization for the advancement of sex work and to legalize sex work and helping sex workers out um, getting them health services and whatnot. Coyote loved the original production of The Life. They sent all of their people there. They apparently all went several times. Loved the show, hung out with the cast backstage. And Wonderful. to take the hooker's ball away from them and give it to the pimp. Whether or not intentional. Yeah. It, it, is that it's not it, so... Un- the lack of forethought ends up actually the decisions and the changes that were made i can understand why they wanted to make the changes some of the changes i even agree with but they were so poor in their execution that they ended up being ruinous and unintentionally offensive at times well that 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 makes me curious changes you agree with though were mishandled do you have any examples like a change that you watching the original version of a life a change you agree with having been made and whether or not they actually did it right. One thing they kind of dealt with more frankly is the whole AIDS question. Yeah, and I also got the implication. Sonia mentioned something vaguely about like, it's not this, it's not this, I don't know what it is. It's- this was a big controversy on the original production. And the original production, a lot of people were angry that they didn't deal with AIDS, and they obviously gave one of the characters AIDS. Sonia has AIDS. And timing-wise... Is that what Oldest Profession's about, then? No, not completely. Oh. Um, Although it did, at Encores, they did not name it at any point. But they were more open about the fact that she they had a scene at the health clinic and actually i liked the scene at the health clinic they fully like wrote new entire scenes they wrote new entire scenes they moved songs there was a brand new scene in the health clinic um that was mentioned a couple of doctors who actually believed in hipaa hipaa the doctor doesn't disclose information um they started a low-cost uh, health clinic basically for sex workers, and I believe that is historically accurate, something that Billy Porter experienced or heard about back in the 80s. Or They moved it even farther out. It was the late 70s. It was about 1978, I want to say, the production. 
So you had a whole scene of Sonia is in the doctor's office and she has thrush in the throat and they know that she shouldn't have thrush in the throat, but they don't know how she possibly got it. That I think worked. They were more upfront about the whole AIDS thing, although they didn't put a name on it because they didn't have a name for it. I think it might've been 1979. Cause I think the first mm. case is believe. I'm trying to think. Um, I thought this production was framed in the late 80s. You know, if that was what this production was going for, they failed on the AIDS front because AIDS had a name and they would have been aware that she had AIDS. Well, the show went up in... in yeah, it's it's set in Times Square in the, in the 1980s. Mm-hmm. That's what the general synopsis says, in the 1980s. To not make AIDS an issue, it really has to be 1981 at latest. <laughs> Yeah. Or, I don't know, they kind of, I guess they were naming it Grid by about 84. Mm. And the whole she has AIDS and her health isn't going well also informed that final decision of, I'm going to go to the prison hospital and spend a couple weeks, they're going to make me better. Hmm. So that worked. And the doctor, when he's dismissing Sonia... Tells her, you should, it's very odd that you have thrush. You should maybe not be doing this anymore. And that's Oldest and Profession? She walks out. No, Oldest Profession is way at the end of the show. What the fuck? I'm trying to come up with justifications to change the song. <laughs> so, the doctor dismisses her. Queen walks in, starts getting a a hormone treatment. You see the needle going in, and then they randomly have my body. What? And this was something that didn't work. And it's just like, my body is an anthem fighting against the forces of nature that are against you. And what are you fighting against? The Queen's getting a hormone treatment? Just It diffuses the entire song, and the song then has no context, and what is it doing? It's a great song, but why is it there? And that is something that I even criticized about the original production. They had the religious song, they had the religious people, and then they go off stage. And then there's a joke, and someone else walks on stage and said, one of those religious people uh, scared my client off, and then they launch into my body. And I'm just like have the religious people confronting the prostitutes on stage they push the religious people off stage and boom my body you know Mm, there's too many things here that are just goddamn diffused in both versions yeah you know i had i hadn't even considered from that front i was i would i had been thinking about it just as like you know coming out of this aspect coming out from this theme I thought, yeah, maybe, at least in hindsight now, I'm going, yeah, it's clumsily introduced, but even then I was, I, I, like, I was thinking, like, this is so perfectly commenting on this thing that they're talking about, this aspect of the representation of sex work. You have a lot of moments that just, they aren't following each other naturally, and you have a main character whose wants are also diffused. And so the entire piece really is frayed at the edges from the beginning. It and has like, it has, it, it suffers from enough, enough syndrome. 
What do you mean? Do you know by what that? I'm talking about? Awful sweet to be a little butterfly. It's we were having we had when we had the conversation about Spring Awakening, we talked about how, at worst, this book was just serving to attach songs to each other. Mm-hmm. You come out of the guilty ones, and Moritz says, "Enough, enough, enough." And then the next song starts. Yeah. And, and okay. it's so clumsily just, like, you know, well, something but, for something's sake to go, here's the next song, boom. And, and those are the hardest things, but when they work, they are the most thrilling moments in musical theater. And the life could have maybe tried a bit harder to make it work. The life could have tried a bit harder to make it work. Honestly... The life, what was so disappointing, and I'm sure we will cover some of the other changes uh, in this conversation. What was most disappointing is here is a show that is perfect for the Encore's treatment. And more than anything else, here's a show that would perfectly work and actually benefit and be stronger from a cut Encore's book. Because what do you do? You cut the little bits and scenes between the religious song and my body. You smush them together. There you go. It's copacetic. The moment leads into the next moment more easily. There's a lot of that that could have happened. But we completely rewrote, and we ended up with even more book than there is here. And I'm sorry, the new book writing was not very good at all. And I just... Because also, on top of the main character being diffused on what they want, you were seeing what Billy Porter wanted to do, and that was diffused by, you're talking to an audience that isn't at City Center right now. You are lecturing people about what Reaganism is. Meanwhile, the person sitting in front of me is talking about working in Eric Adams' office that she had just... The new Adams administration, she's a couple months into it, she was talking about him. She doesn't need to be lectured on what Reaganism is. She's well aware, she's a politically intelligent person. Every person around me, very politically aware. They mentioned Reagan once, you had someone loudly scream, BOO! (laughs) Which, terrific. You think the... You think someone in this audience is screaming boo and then they need to sit into like a three minute sermon on what Reaganism is? He was talking to a three minute sermon on Reaganism? Pretty much. And that What the fuck did they do? And then that turned into Mr. Greed and they put on half masks of Trump and Reagan and it truly went into Uncanny Valley because you're seeing a Trump Reagan mask on the top half and on the bottom half Michael Kilgore still has the beard and you're just like, I can see both people in there and I don't know which one I'm supposed to be looking at right now. That's so weird. Yeah, so you took Mr. Greed completely out of the narrative, and it was never that woven into the narrative to begin with, but it just... uh, He was talking to an audience that simply wasn't there, and that he, Billy Porter, should have known wasn't going to be there. And so it's diffused of... The main character doesn't know what they want. Billy Porter knows what he wants, but the person he's speaking to isn't here right now. So why am I sitting through this? Like, the whole queen shoots Memphis. Memphis. 
at the end. And she, she turns to an audience. Sonya says, you have a gun, queen? Of course I have a gun. I'm a trans woman in America. Huge round of applause. And then she goes on for another five lines about trans women face this kind of violence every single day. And you know what? This is my second amendment right to carry a gun. Whoa! Oh! And I'm going to guess the intent there is Billy Porter is saying to Red America, if you weren't comfortable with a trans woman carrying a gun around you actually don't believe in the second amendment and we can get rid of it. That is me being generous on what he possibly meant. What it actually came off at is America is a very scary place and we all must protect ourselves. So we should all carry guns. Holy shit. What a fumble. Wow. I can't wrap my head around that. What? Yeah. I And, and I mean, it would have been very heavy-handed for her to say, I'm a trans woman in America, of course I carry a gun. You could have cut it off there, and fine, you would have gotten your applause. I would have let it go. Yeah, you know what, go ahead. You get to have a gun. But just the next five lines ending with, it is my second amendment right in America to carry a gun. And the argument you made is essentially the exact argument the red state americans are making and your point of challenging them on if you aren't comfortable with a trans woman carrying a gun then the second amendment shouldn't exist it's not landing because they're not in the audience fuck's sake it was so confusing it was so confusing i'm gonna make a statement i don't i don't care how well this is received it's sounding to me like this presentation of the life at Encores was suboptimal. Uh, it was. So- I said it. I said it. I don't know if any of you will have backlash to that. I know this is a controversial opinion. I stand by my. I think a lot of people found it suboptimal, and oh, few! Thank goodness, I had no clue. I can understand adding trans characters i liked the scene in the health clinic i didn't like that my body came after it but i think there is some version in the show where that scene works in some way Mm -hmm. and yes with being more open about the aids elephant in the room it did make sonya's decision at the end more grounded more felt but it just was so fumbled and the audience was so ahead and the audience they were speaking to was not the audience in the house. Yeah. And, but get, sounds like. bringing it back to what launched this whole section, one of the main problems that people have with the original production, and I think, yeah, it probably is a flaw in the show. What year is this? We don't really know exactly what year it is. And people were expecting AIDS to be handled a lot more openly when the period of the show, it didn't really have a name. But you're presenting what works now better as a period piece, and you weren't that removed from the period in 1997. And so now we're able to understand AIDS doesn't have a name. Of course, they're not going to openly deal with it. In 1997, if I have my dates correct... AZT came out in 94 
and majorly mm. stopped the deaths. It wasn't until the cocktail came along that AIDS really became a virus that you could have and you could th- really thrive and live With- a relatively normal life. Um, there were people that certainly thrived before the cocktail, but the cocktail was really a game changer. That's in 2001. So you have a lot of audience members who AZT is relatively new. The deaths only very recently started to stop and you have someone on stage who has AIDS and they're not naming it. That's going to come off not good. There's, uh-huh. there's just, there, there's no way to put things in perspective. So, and this, it sounds like this is a flaw that could theoretically be workable. Well, it's not so much a flaw anymore because now it's just a period piece and we accept the period. When it's a period piece and the period isn't that removed, it just seems dated. In any case, though, wrapping up some thoughts about the book. Overall, it sounds like what we're essentially getting down to is that the the, the major flaw in the book is kind of it's like oversight right the fact that it gets too big on i guess its own sort of overall world that it doesn't pay enough attention to the details that we're looking for in these characters and can drop the ball in providing us details that we otherwise would need to get into this environment the book is just too diffused the book does allow the score to work and that's the best thing i can say about the book the other massive change at encore is billy porter thought there was way too much comedy and like every yes that punchline was cut there might have been four that's laughs I want in the entire about. evening something that from that's something that you had talked to me about the fact that there was very little humor in it. Mm-hmm. And now having seen this, I don't know what the hell show you have on your hands with no humor. Because the thing that drives my interest in the show, the thing that what attaches me to these characters, the thing that drives the reason I believe this environment is livable for people, is the camaraderie. Mm-hmm. It's the, it is the tight-knit relationships and it is the closeness and it is the way they all make each other laugh and the way they all entertain each other and without that what the fuck are you putting on stage but there is a point there you said the reason this life is livable it isn't and the show is open flat out at the beginning this person's dead this person's dead this person's dead clearly the life isn't that livable and yet somehow they're living it they're living it and the thing is yes there will be camaraderie and when you are amongst yourselves you make jokes everybody makes jokes about their situation that's part of how we get through life there is a bigger question Yes, sex workers can make jokes about sex work amongst themselves. When you put it on a Broadway stage in front of an audience, are you then not amongst yourselves? And that I don't completely have a question. I don't completely have an answer with. I am 
this might be my privilege. I am more fine letting that be a flaw of the show because when you remove all the jokes, it's just weighted down and there's no joy left anywhere. And there's not much reason for these people to keep living, which certainly happens at times, but I don't want to sit through it for three hours. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I sat through Shoah. That's what, seven hours about the Holocaust? But it's a documentary. The fact that you're doing a musical, I guess it has to be entertaining to a certain level, right? Well, yeah, that's in the nature of the art form. Mm Mm-hmm. And I mean, expanding views, I mean, Scottsboro Boys was entertaining, but it was never comfortable and there weren't many laughs, but it still worked I I don't know. They didn't find a substitute for not having humor at encores. Mm. And I do think these are people that would not take themselves at every moment of their lives 100% seriously. But yeah, the one thing the book really does well is it allows the score to work and it takes you from number to number decently not always smoothly but decently and the numbers do land if a number doesn't land it's usually the book messing up these numbers do land so that is something the book is doing right and thank god these numbers land Mm -hmm. because god this is just such an unbelievably exciting score every single number in this show is like independently thrilling. It's so bombastic. It's so electrifying. It's so grand. It, 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 like you are, you're doing insane shit constantly. Responsible composing out the fucking window. This is just so goddamn impressive to listen to. And it's not just that you know. Oh wow, you're you're hitting these huge grand numbers, and the music is booming, and these actors are are belting at the top of the human known range. But, fuck, yeah, he's no good. Which is like, you listen to that and you go, that's a standard. Like, that's a, that's a song that should go in, like, a late 20th century songbook. There's so much eclectic goodness present. You have jazz, you have huge, grand, bombastic musical theater thudding you have ballads you have shit that's like verging on operatic at points it's so fucking thrilling it's so exciting it's so inventive it's so new it's so creative and so pleasing mm-hmm. i really i i made such a meal of the score what do you what do you have to say eclectic goodness is probably the best phrase for this score yes it, it is exciting it is interesting to listen to there are so many genre, not just presenting the different genre, but really thriving in the different genre. Um, it really allows some showcase vocal performances that are really spectacular. The score gives the show a pulse. Mm. It gives the show an AED is what it gives. What's that? The little, like, you know, the metal thing. Clear. <laughs> ah. Mm-hmm. Not that the show needs it, but that's what the mm-hmm. fuck it does. 
It's a lightning bolt. You know, we talked in Sweet Smell of Success about you listen to that score and you're out late, you're in a jazz club, it's 1950, there's a martini in one hand, a cigarette in the other, the entire room is filled with cigarette smoke. That same uh-huh. level of specificity in sound is present here. The music very much sets each scene you listen to the music and you could have your eyes completely closed, never see anything else, and you know immediately where you're at because it's so atmospheric and so good at creating atmosphere. Uh-huh. Atmosphere is, it just, it slams this story at you. Mm-hmm. And it's so, it's just thrilling. It's just pure electricity in musical theater composition. Mm-hmm. Cy Coleman. He's got a future. <laughs> I really think he could make something of himself in the musical theater. And you know how I said the perfect phrase was eclectic goodness? Right? Uh-huh. That was the phrase. Mm-hmm. At Encores, <sighs> they reorchestrated everything. As they, as they said in interviews, they wanted to put some stank on it. The percussion was very high in the sound mixing, and everything seemed to have a similar percussion beat to it. They really just all started to sound the same, and you were listening. seemed like you were listening to the same song over and over again. That talk about things being operatic, well, nothing was really operatic because everything, bomb, ba-bomb, ba Bomb. The drums are doing that the entire time behind it, and you're always in some kind of pop mode. So nothing registered as operatic. So it just it, it was it was suboptimal. Anyway, enough dwelling on what's heartbreaking. <laughs> this score. What was your favorite it. song? Oh God, oh God. There was so fucking much I loved here, like. Shit, I loved Use What You Got. I loved The Oldest Profession. I love I even loved You Can't Get to Heaven. Like that's a that's the kind of song in a musical that I'm going to hate and I loved it here. Love my body. You know what I really enjoyed actually here? That what? like 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 here's my you want to know my odd pick, I think. Why don't they leave us alone? Why don't they leave us that yeah. song mm-hmm. that was something that i particularly enjoyed mm-hmm. and that's one that's sort of like I, I i would assume is not like on the forefront of people's minds mm-hmm. it's it's so hard because so much of this score rang out to me as so equally excellent mm-hmm. to the point where it's really hard for me to say this one stood out amongst all the others the high bar was consistently met and that is fucking hard to come by yeah and on top of it you know what perfectly matches this thrilling score when i say get on the stick well, better make it nestle quick wasn't what i had a couple of the no. best lines ever in a musical best lyrics way up there the lyrics vacillate between great and yes in that lyric <laughs> oh yeah no absolutely 
like spot on. It's like half the lyrics here are great, and half the lyrics here are just stressful. I mean, the whole leading up to fifty weeks a year, I always visit Mama at Christmas time. Brought down the house, and rightfully so. That entire oldest profession. Those are some great lyrics in that song. I never thought you'd hurt me bad enough to make me tell you that I had enough. I thought that love would take us all the way, and now I hardly can believe what I'm about to say. It's not Sondheim. No. No. It's not Sweet Charity. <laughs> Which Dorothy Fields had some terrific lyrics there. Mm-hmm. The entire set of lyrics is not like that, obviously. No. But it's not infrequent. Uh, as a set, they work. Are they the best? No. But they work. Yeah. Yeah. More often they're not. They're sort of cheesy and they're sort of very blatant. But, you know, it never it never sticks out like a sore thumb. That is probably more the composition work than the actual score altogether. But, you know, take what you get. You gotta use what you got. And the lyrics are what they got. You either got it or you ain't. Before we leave this score section, I saw a poll on Twitter. I don't know if you saw it. My friend from the life or for good from wicked. You know what? My friend. Mm-hmm. Yep, that's my answer. Yeah. It's... There's so much more heart. For good has a lot of emotion and a lot of real depth to it. But this has... It has, like, emotional complexities and nuances. Mm-hmm. That... It's the bittersweetness that makes it so touching. For good is a little bittersweet, but it's mostly sweet. This really is, you know, like, no second chance for me. I'm not like you. The life's the the only life I ever knew. We have to say goodbye. There's no use to pretend, but I, but I will always know you were my friend. That's bittersweet. Mm-hmm. <sighs> well, and especially knowing that one of them has AIDS, and it's... <laughs> They're not anywhere close to a cure. So, no second chance for me. That's just a statement of fact, and God, does that carry weight. Sigh. Coleman. <laughs> nice. So, overall, the score. Oh, yeah. Great. Reason to see the show. Absolutely. Absolutely. Ears well utilized. So, that's the score... You know, that's the material. Material doesn't exist in a vacuum. What'd you think of this production? Oh, great. Really? It's a great production. Huh. It leans into the indulgence of the material and let that flourish. You have the, um, starting with the construction wall, raising that up, ten prostitutes standing posed behind it. Mwah. Mwah to that. You have these glorious dance breaks with multicolored lights flashing all over. You have sets moving left to right. You have 
pimps climbing on top of shoe shine stands. You have people going in an elevator and the entire set fl- goes up into the flies. It so perfectly matches the material's energy. And it gives you something as bombastic and as charged as the text. That elevator bit was a great bit, especially considering what Sunset Boulevard was probably still running on Broadway or just closing <laughs> you, at the did, time. Did you read that as a sunset dig? Uh, probably because the sunset thing was so massive and here are tons of scenery moving meanwhile over here at the life we got a bunch of prostitutes <laughs> we're going to stand here completely still no one's on the set and the little piece of set that we have set up here that's just gonna lift and that's how we're gonna do the elevator thing on our budget and you know what we're goddamn charming can you say that about <laughs> sunset <laughs> oh it it made me squeal. That that was that was very delightful. I thought it was a sparse production. What this production did best was it centered the text. Oh, fuck off. Uh, that's I, I, I don't use my language against me. I, I don't think it was the most distinctive production. Um, the choreography definitely understood that had Bob Fosse been alive, Bob Fosse would be working on this show. (laughs) And that I liked in the choreography. I thought the choreography on a whole was very good. The production kept the show moving and it allowed for some great performances. When you're saying sparse, I think what you're talking about is the fact that there's little scenery. Mm Mm-hmm. And but, uh, there was a lot that read as bare stage for me. Yeah, but I think beyond the aesthetic was a production that was so active and so creative and so constantly in motion. Well, in what ways did it show? In what ways did it show? I mean, there's constant movement. There's constant playing with the set. There's constant dynamic utilization of the space i mean the set takes up little surface area but there's no inch of the stage that is left untrodden okay every scene felt dynamic every scene felt very active very charged Mm -hmm. visually yes this was a i wouldn't say necessarily minimalist but a very sparse production aesthetically Oh, I think it but I would say that's more, just aesthetic. I, I think it leaned more into minimalism than maximalism. I, I, I'm trying oh, to think where the show ended, there were all these signs that came down. I thought that mm-hmm. really worked. I just... Some of the set just felt like it was missing some kind of finishing touch. Like, they went to the top of Memphis's Memphis's penthouse, and there was the backdrop with all of the lights in the city. I really liked that. It felt like the entire image was finished, and I didn't always find that finishing touch in every scene. I... I guess I can understand where you're coming from with that. I, I guess but... the images just weren't framed enough, I think is really what I'm trying to say. Okay. You know? Okay. Yeah, I get what you're saying. I I, di- I, I, I wouldn't say that that um, discounted it for me, personally. Mm-hmm. But I can understand how that happened. Well, I, I'm just like, 
it's fine to have a sparse set, but somehow frame the image so that I'm not looking at the blank space. You know, I'm looking at what's happening. I'm not looking at, okay, yeah, there's not that's fair. really that's, that's fair. much there. Otherwise, though, I was I was very, very blown away by the amount of charge that this staging had and was so happy to see it. What the production does great is it understands the tone of the show and it consistently mm-hmm. understands the tone of the show. You're never in doubt of what the show is trying to do. The show might not always get there. The show might not always do it, but you always see where they're going. And having seen the life where that wasn't the case, it was appreciated here. Mm-hmm. Just a quick, uh, just one final encore thing to show you maybe Billy Porter is not a director. The gal is singing Easy Money, Mary, and mm-hmm. she has the money in her hand. She throws it in the air, and she continues singing, and she picks it up, 52 pickup. And she continues singing. She's got it all together. And she continues singing for a little bit. She throws it in the air again. And she <laughs> goes around and she 52 pick up all over again. And wouldn't you know it, in one song, oh. she threw that money in the air three times. And during the song, while she was singing, went around the stage to pick it up. And I'm just like, why am I watching you on the ground trying to nervously pick up money? And, oh, look, you forgot a piece. You forgot a piece. You're talking about how you need money. There's money. I'm distracted. Oh, no. I, I just don't know why you do that. That's my final thing about encores, I think. With that, that leaves us to talk about the girls. Hats off, here they come, those beautiful girls. That's what you've been Daniel, waiting Daniel, for. Daniel, Daniel, yeah? Daniel, absolutely put the OBC of the life into a production of Follies. Absolutely do that. What do you mean? The cast we just saw. Oh, in- well, I mean, Chuck Cooper has clearly been Stone. That's the easiest one. Yeah. Uh, and then Fleet, Fleetwood uh, 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 is for sure, uh, buddy. I don't know. Is there someone else that's more? I think Sam Harris is maybe buddy. Oh, you're so fucking right. Yeah. Where do you do put we, Lilius we... is really the question. It's either Phyllis or Carlotta. That much is clear. I don't know. You can't give her Broadway baby because that's too small. Mm-hmm. She would do a hilarious apari, but again, don't relegate her to that. Is she who's Solange. that woman? Perhaps. Perhaps. You clearly have Queen as Sally. Clearly. Okay. I want this. I do want this. I want this in 1997, but I want this. <laughs> do you know what I kind of want to do? I kind of want to talk about our girls in general, okay. first of all. Because okay, I think there. they're well served as an ensemble. Mm-hmm. And what's so brilliant here is the absolute crackling sparks that are present within the members of the cast here. They are all so on each other. It is wham, bam, boom. Like, they are so on the pulse, so attentive to each other, so completely grounded in each other's dynamics. And 
God, they just so brilliantly work as one huge living, breathing community. Mm-hmm. What did you feel about them? You know, I think it was Ethan Borden that mentioned it seemed like they put real girls on the stage rather than a bunch of showgirls. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I really have to say, you look around that stage, everyone's doing something so specific and everyone is so grounded, and that's not usual. Everyone could be doing something specific. You don't see people grounded. These people are like fully grounded, fully understand what they're doing and are fully living these characters' experiences. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's a oh, great group. A great group. We we keep seeing signs that suggest to us that we need a Best Ensemble Tony Award. And I, for some reason, we haven't. I am very controversial on that front. Start talking. Sorry, you don't get to get a Tony Award for being a chorus girl. Wow. You would, you would tell me which member of the of the life you would call a chorus girl. I'm not specifically saying the life. I think... Tell me which member of Shuffle Along you would call I, a chorus girl. Oh, there are certainly chorus girls tell in me, Shuffle Along. Tell me which member of Rent you would call a chorus girl. I, tell me... Trying to think specific. Which member of In My Life you would call a chorus girl. You know what? Tony Awards go to people at the absolute top of their field and of course when you get on Broadway you're on the top of the field but the top of the top of the field and the fact is some people just luck into being in shows you've seen it I've seen it this industry is 100% about luck and I think what you would end up with is a bunch of Tony winners that are not necessarily the most talented and happen to be extremely lucky damn that's a strong feeling. Sorry. It's true. You know I'll it is find true. It in my heart. You know it is true. Look at the people that have made it and that you know in your life. Are they the most talented people? No. I know nothing to be true. <sighs> Let's start with Sam Harris as JoJo. Where did this guy come from? Star Search! You don't remember and Star Search? I I'm young, Daniel. I, I think I might have seen some reruns at one point or it was way on its way on its final final legs when I watched it. Uh mm-hmm. but I think Sam Harris was the first Star Search winner if I'm remembering correctly. I do remember Linda Etter was also found on Star Search. So was Rosie O'Donnell. Like, there were some... Yeah, I saw something... uh, At the end of this video, there was some sort of, like, documentary piece about how Sam Harris performed on stage with his uh, Star Search pal, Rosie O'Donnell, in the Broadway revival of Grease. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Sam Harris obviously has a beautiful voice. Very impressive range. JoJo is not a nice character. Just a real despair person and Sam Harris tries his best to make him likable and to make him someone who you're constantly waiting to see back on the stage oh not this fucker again not even it's just like oh oh Sam Harris is back like 
Oh, Sid. Is... Yeah. Oh, Sam Harris is back. Oh, wait a minute. He's playing JoJo. Ah, oh, this fucker is back. <laughs> Every time he comes back, you're like, oh, you rascal. You sing another rascal, sing, you. Sing, sing, sing. Come on, sing. Sing, do it. Sing, come on. No, but even as an actor, he's so solid. I found him a very impressive actor as well. He he mm-hmm. handled this material all around. I thought very brilliantly. Yeah, he was a surprisingly adept actor. Yeah. Fantastically seedy and totally in that element. So great at the charming, at the persuasion. And fuck, that voice will not quit. Mm-hmm. Absolutely will not. And this Clear is... Isabel. Let's now jump to Chuck fucking Cooper as Memphis. You didn't realize this was Chuck Cooper. I couldn't believe it. I did not realize this was Chuck Cooper till after the Explain show. Explain yourself. I, 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 I genuinely can't. I gen I after the video was done, I went back to My Way or the Highway because it's one of the few like close up shots that the video has. And it did zoom in on Queen of Memphis. And I went back, and they zoomed in on Chuck Cooper, and I went, my God, I can see Chuck Cooper there. It's like, I can, like, if I squint, I can see Chuck Cooper. <laughs> and that was such a shock. We've sung the praises of Chuck Cooper already on this podcast. Complete utter gem. Won a Tony Award for this performance. Yeah. Wouldn't begrudge him that. Oh, absolutely. Should have won the Tony Award for this. The scene where he is throwing Queen around, fucking sickening. Holy hell, a pit in my stomach. It's so, it's it's the extremes of emotion put together with that glorious, booming voice he has. It's like a fan, it's, a, it's such a, such a resounding baritone. There's a calculation that he makes here that kind of shows his brilliance. And it is that he knows the character is going to be a motherfucker. And he knows that you know this character is about to be a motherfucker. But when he comes on stage, he's going to present a motherfucker. But he's going to present such a charming motherfucker that you still want to spend time with him. (laughs) And that is something that can go wrong with this role. Just having someone seriously distasteful that you don't understand why anyone would ever be around him and you don't want to spend time with him. That's very off-putting. Chuck Cooper lets you into... This is how all these people got into his orbit. This is how you get pulled in. And this is when it turns on you. And I mean, my God, that voice. It's... It's booming. It's the range is endless. The voice doesn't quit. He is Chuck Cooper in the life. Is the musical theater equivalent to high end opera singing? Oh sure, high end Wagnerian opera singing. Honestly, yeah, I absolutely got that impression. Uh huh. Deserved Tony Award for Chuck Cooper, and we're rooting for him this year. Oh, we absolutely are. Best featured actor? Knock on wood. Hashem. Hashem. <laughs> oh. So Chuck Cooper, of course, the big star in the company, the big name, the big face. Chuck Cooper of the life. Um, next up we got uh, 
Lilius Lil- 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 White. Uh, she was fine. <laughs> Man, Lilius White. I I've seen Lilius White live. As have I. Mm, it was great. She hit on me. Oh, she did not hit on me. Well, she was in Chicago. Th- I'm, I'm, I don't think there was I, that opportunity. For my own jealous purposes, I'm happy to hear that. Um, <laughs> what was she gonna do in the middle of Chicago? She was just before Chicago. Yeah, well, I saw her in Chicago. Well, I saw her pre-Chicago. Mm. I saw her pre-Chicago. <laughs> okay, enough. Relax. Relax. Listen, Lilius White is one of the never-dying fires of musical theater. There's nothing that could possibly extinguish or put out or dampen Lilius White. She is just... She's a performer you know will be on until she's off. And here, just definition of a powerhouse role, right? Like, steals the comedy, steals the singing, steals every single eye every time she's on that stage. Oh, she steals the spotlight. She's got classiness. She's got bruntness. She's not afraid to get nasty. She's not afraid to get touching and sentimental. It is a total performance, and fuck, it's so giving. Mm-hmm. It is very giving. She is very generous to the other actors on that stage. Uh, she is completely in control of herself. She is completely confident in herself. She could sell a bottle of water to a scuba diver who's in the middle of the ocean. <laughs> I... <laughs> Uh, I have to be honest. Best I've heard her ever. Mm-hmm. Like oh, best oh, singing. Sure. She's she's even. She sounds terrific on the cast album. She so easily bests the cast album of the life here. It's really. It's very shocking. It might be the best vocal night she's had in her entire life. So good it was captured. Mm-hmm. Now, Pamela Isaacs plays Queen. Can you explain to me why we don't know the name Pamela Isaacs? Why? Because do... I'm having a hard time with that. Yeah, why do we not know the name Pamela Isaacs? Yes. This is egregious to me. Defend on behalf of the people you represent. The people I represent? The human race. I represent the human race? We're all fucked. <laughs> Good point. Never mind. Why? 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 Why is this? Why? What? Why? I honestly couldn't tell you. This is insane. You watch this performance, you expect... Oh, so she didn't stop working. I don't know why we don't know her. I don't know why this didn't lead to other gigs other acclaim I, I do see she was in Thoroughly Modern Millie mm-hmm. in the national tour of Thoroughly Modern Millie uh, she's absolutely terrific she has the soprano range and you think oh she's just a terrific soprano and this is going to be a lovely and then she fully belts and I mean true belting belts and it's she is the center 
of the piece. She very much feels like the center of the piece, and that is because of her performance. And Queen, as we said, kind of has diffused wants. Pamela Isaacs comes very close to making it work. She can't completely make it work, but at that point, it becomes the material. Mm -hmm. So much versatility is displayed here. It's insane. Mm -hmm. She demonstrates such adeptness at anything you could throw at a musical theater actress. Mm -hmm. Like, just in terms of range of capabilities. This is just a, it's a bottomless pit of of artistic gifts a bottomless pit of artistic gifts if there has been a sentence that has gone in more directions at once i'd like to read it <laughs> bottomless well i should say maybe bottomless We're... isn't the word for this episode well you you can discuss bottom affairs of your own accord they're your affairs darling overall this company damn near perfect yes yeah like i have nothing more to say than just spot fucking on mm -hmm. it's practically a perfect company uh so vibrant so alive mm -hmm. couldn't have been more impressed could not have been more impressed and before we, before I talk about my general thoughts about the show, we must, of course, touch upon this video. Yes. It's very washed out. Extremely <laughs> washed out. Uh, it does not do many close-ups. You get about one close-up per actor for the entire show. Yeah. There's really only one video of the life that anyone seems to have that circulates if there is going to only be one video, I'm glad it got the big picture. Absolutely. That's what I was about to say. I am not upset with this video in the least, regardless of the fact that we are absent some close-ups. I. It's I more it's the washout than the close-ups that are... Yeah, the washout, and then there's occasional focus issues for like five seconds, five, ten seconds at a time. It happens like two or three times in the video total, but happens... Um, but overall, I think I would have preferred, like, I, I'm the kind of guy who generally prefers stage shots to constant close-ups, but I'm just a staging nerd in general. And I felt like I got a total picture of the production, I got a total picture of the show, and was personally extremely happy with the video. I can, if, if you were to make the argument that, uh, it's harder to watch because it's lower quality. I would go, okay, fine. But, yeah, I actually really particularly appreciated this video. Mm -hmm. I, um, I can't in all good conscience give it, like, an A or anything. But, slightly pushing aside quality, in my heart, I want to give this an A-. minus. I would give the video a C+. Jesus. That's a little disparate. I don't mind. Well, here's the thing. I don't mind that it's not close up, but it, it just, it, there's, it, you're looking at a series of blurs on the stage that 
may come into focus for one minute uh again per actor they do make sure they close up uh just about everyone on stage once it is a video that will give you a good general idea as to what the show is but it does not communicate the most information gives you an idea and this video more than really a lot of other videos we've watched i felt like i was mentally filling in the details which mm. happens happens I, i'm glad it exists and i did find it watchable i had to mm -hmm. supply a lot though in my own head I, I i won't begrudge your opinion then maybe i wouldn't give this an a minus but i think at the very least i would honestly say b plus because as much as it is hard to make out detail i would also say that there's nothing i could say i really miss here well, except for facial expressions and clarity of quality of set and clarity of quality of costumes and set and costumes I didn't have the most trouble with. Washout didn't stop me from getting the idea of what they were. Wa facial expressions, of course, were completely out the window, but I would say that was the one thing I was missing. Mm -hmm. Anyway, The Life, though, as a show, I'm... My question to you is, do you want to grade it? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, then I'll let you. I, at Encores, it was a D. Mm -hmm. The original show, as we saw in this video, I think is a B. It, it's a solid evening of entertainment. It doesn't fully work. There are definitely some structural issues, and I think it is a little too long on the whole. And, mm -hmm. again, the air just lets out of the balloon before the show ends. But it is entertaining, and there is some gold in them there hills, as they say. <laughs> as they do say. You? I, no, I can't grade. Sorry, I can't grade. Why? Um, I, I don't know that I can be critically objective with this show. I had just too good a time. Well grade the time you had like grade the time i had mm -hmm. a okay I, I i couldn't in good faith say that the life is a show that earns an a i couldn't but i could not grade it anything less based on my experience with the show uh, we sat here for i think i can get it for you wholesale and i was like it's an a plus it's an undiscovered masterpiece and you were like i think it's a b <laughs> <laughs> it's flipped it's flipped now it's, no you know what it, it i think it's more akin to like you with spring awakening i would say where it's just like i can't be objective with the show because i feel too strongly about the experience of the show that i can't actually talk about the level of quality on display i'm shocked you like this so much so am i i had such an awesome time I want to think about this show for a long time. Seriously. Cool. Oh, thanks for picking it, Josh. Well, anyway, that was the life. Bo 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 bo. <laughs> oh, ha ha ha. <sighs> God, you know, New York, 
no, 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 me. No, no, me, um, me. I have something. You let no, me. No, I have you something better. You let me. I have something better. You God, know. Times Square of the 80s. Times Square what of the 80s. What a wild thing, huh? But you know what? It's not like that anymore because times have changed and we've often... Fuck you. Times have exact changed. <laughs> and we've often rewound... Oh, you know what? Pause that. Pause that. Pause that. Pause that. I was higher than her. You started playing Sutton Foster. Go play Patty Lapone. I am in key with time. Listen, listen. I had to play Sutton Foster because unfortunately, times I, no, have changed. I, That's the key. I, it's it's only fair for times. me to play Sutton Foster. I'm preparing our audience for what's about to happen Bye. next week. Um, folks, PBS is releasing, uh, their pro shot. Well, not their pro shot, but PBS is airing the pro shot of the West End revival of Anything Goes, the Catherine Marshall production starring Sutton Foster. And, um, we're going to be talking about Sutton Foster again on the podcast somehow. Ladies and gentlemen, the Lincoln Center theater cast of Cole Porter's Thank you, Angela. But can we please get this thing moving? Times have changed. Okay, I don't know if I was in the right key, but neither was something foster. Um, we're talking about anything goes. I, I guess I have to move everything along in this podcast. We're covering anything goes because they I did a pro you. shot in you. London with something foster who came back and replaced Megan Mullally. Uh, Megan Mullally was supposed to do it in London, but. Uh, it fell through, and they went to good old reliable Sutton, and we will tell you if she's good old or reliable anymore next week. <laughs> um, we're back on the pulse, baby. We're gonna be. This is something you're gonna be able to watch and uh, let us know your thoughts on, and uh, go watch the pro shot. We'll all meet back next week and uh, converse. It's Great. gonna be fun. See you then, folks. We know you're the bottom, Joshy, because I'm the top. Oh, just kill yourself. You kill yourself. Kill yourself. Tell me about it. If you enjoyed the episode, rate us, review us, and subscribe to us on your platform of choice. And if you have any recommendations, questions, or virtual flowers to send our way, email us at unccpodcast at gmail.com. The Unauthorized Critic Circle Podcast is unauthorized. The podcast is intended for entertainment and informational purposes only. The life. And all names, pictures, and audio clips are registered trademarks and or copyright of the respective trademark and copyright holders. The Unauthorized Critic Circle cannot help the listener locate or distribute the recordings discussed here.